if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, if you're using the Bibles in the chairs, it's page 703. <clears throat> Last week we started a two-part sermon. I don't usually do that, but I just couldn't fit it all into one. Uh, but anyway, we started a two-part sermon on the church and the responsibilities of the church. And I started last week with a quote, and I'm going to give it to you again because I believe it to be a very um, accurate quote. And that is, uh, if you ever find the perfect church, please don't join it. Uh, if you do, it won't be perfect anymore. And the reality is, there is no such thing as a perfect church, is there? Uh, the reason why is because it's full of unperfect people. And more importantly, uh, every church is led by an imperfect pastor. And it's important that we understand that because oftentimes we get in our minds a concept of what we believe a church should be, and very seldom does that concept meet reality. We all want churches to be perfect, but unfortunately, it, they never will. So, <clears throat> the truth of the fact, uh, the truth of the matter is, there is no perfect church. So, does that give Grace Baptist Church the excuse to be selfish and uh, inverted, nothing more than a country club? No, it does not give us that excuse. It does not give us the excuse to, to be inclusive. Churches need to be, what's the word? Ex extroverted? Would that be the right word? We need to be looking outward, not looking inward. Last week, we looked at two churches that God gives, gives us examples of in, in the book of Revelation. <clears throat> we call, there are seven churches in the book of Revelation that he highlights uh, in verses 2 and 3, or excuse me, in chapters 2 and 3. Uh, last week, we looked at two. We're going to look at those two again this morning uh, because the first church that he gives us in, in Revelation chapter 2 um, uh, is is a church that's doing a lot of things right, and and he he commends them for what they did wrong. Or excuse, he commends them for what he what they're doing right, but then he condemns them for for some of the things that they need to work on. And then the last church that we looked at last week is the church number seven, and that's the church of Laodicea. So Revelation chapter two verses two to four it says. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou uh, uh, canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars and hast borne and hast patience uh, and for uh, my name's sake hath labored uh, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat, uh, somewhat against thee because thou hast lost thy first love. This church was doing a lot right. But ultimately we see 
that they were doing all these things, the, the right things for the wrong reasons. And we as a church need to understand that we need to do the right things, but we need to do them for the right reason. And as a pastor, I'm just going to be, uh, again, I, uh, the last week I tried to be as transparent as possible, and I'm going to be transparent again today. As a pastor, it's even more difficult to do it for the right reason, if that makes sense. Because this church is so much a part of my life, I, I can, it's easy for me to get caught up <clears throat> in doing all of these things for the wrong reason. I need to do these things because of the Lord Jesus Christ, not because I'm the pastor. Y'all get that? <clears throat> The church of <clears throat> Laodicea was a church that I think typifies many churches in America today. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 16, it says, And unto the angel of the church of Laodicea write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of, crea the, uh, of the creation of God. I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot, so then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And many churches in America today go through the motions, but there's no feeling, there's no love. They, they, they um, in, in the Southeast, uh, um, there's a saying that unfortunately is kind of true for many churches. And it says, when the clock struck 12, the church gave up its dead. And that, that's an unfortunate picture of the fact that many people come to church and they leave church exactly the way they came. And that's not how it's supposed to be. The title of the message is what every church should be, part B. <laughs> okay, so, and there's only two parts, okay, so uh, we'll get through this today. But, <clears throat> you know, one of the important uh, things that I mentioned last week, and I hope you understand and get a hold of, is as, as we grow as individuals, then we as a church will grow. We, we cannot expect Grace Baptist Church to grow and to mature and to be a model New Testament church if we as individuals are not willing to grow with it. Because we are the church. The first point of the message, in case you were not here last week, the first point last week, and we're, I'm going to do just a little bit of review before I get into points three and four. <clears throat> but is point number one is uh, we need to be different. First uh, <clears throat> Thessalonians chapter one it says, and Paul. Paul and Silas and Timotheus unto the church of, Thessalonica, of, of the Thessalonians, which is uh, the church of God and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God the Father 
and our Lord Jesus Christ. And we gave thanks to God always for you, all making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your works of faith and your labor of love and patience and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the sight of God our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you again for this day. Thank you for the Word of God that can help us and mold us and to shape us into what you want us to be. Not what we want to be, but what you want us to be. Speak to our hearts and help us, dear God, to be moldable. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Here in verse 1, and again, we talked about this at great length last week, but he identifies the Iglesia or the church, uh, the called out assembly. And we talked about the fact that the, 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 the called out assembly means that because it's called out, it needs to be different. And if we are going to make a difference in this world, it is not going to be because we conform to the world, but because we reject the world and we, we are different. You cannot make a difference if you look like the world. We need to be different. It is a called out assembly. It is a, it is a group of people that are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ that are willing to be different. That is what the New Testament local church is supposed to look like. The other aspect that we looked at was the, the word in and, and the fact that we are not on God's team, but we are in God's team. And that changes the perspective of everything. Can we make a difference in this world if we're not different? The answer that's no. What is the thing that sets the New Testament apart from every other group in the world? And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The salvation that brings us into God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and in not of yourselves it is a gift of God. So number one, we need to be different. Number two, we need to be examples. And we see that in verses uh, five to seven. And uh, if you were not here last week, let me encourage you to go back and read these verses. But <clears throat> we'll we'll see some characteristics of of being an example. And one of the things we talked about last week is it, the <clears throat> the concept of being an example is that you have to put yourself out there. You have to be willing to be an example. I, I don't know about you, and again, we, I, I shared this last week. I, I don't like necessarily being up here. This is not my comfort zone. My comfort zone is sitting back there next to Lawrence <laughs> on the back row and just kind of, you know, that's, 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 that's my comfort zone back there. But God has called me to be an example, not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a believer. They were examples because, number one, they received the Word. They were willing to take in the Word of God and allow it to change their lives. 
The second thing is they followed their spiritual leaders. Paul put it this way in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. The third thing that we see the example of is the fact that they suffered or they, they, they were persecuted for Christ. These people had given up their idols and their religion. And by doing this, their friends, families, their communities all turned turn their backs on them. And many of them were Jews. And the fact that uh, in, that, in that culture, when, when somebody would get saved, oftentimes the, the Jewish families would have funerals for their, for their, for their, their, their uh, yeah, whoever, whoever converted to Christianity. And I'm telling you, it, 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 that, that's a test of your faith when you know, hey, if I accept Christ, my family's going to turn their backs on me but yet they do it anyway. That's true faith. Faith will always be tested. Always. And then the the final way we see them being examples is they were an encouragement to other churches. And the truth is, every Christian will be an encourager or a discourager. You know, uh, unfortunately, there are there are people, Christians, that I just don't want to be around. Not, not that they just, everything is negative. I, I don't like being around people like that. I, I like being around people who are positive. Who, who, when I get around them, they, one of the first things they say is, hey, God's good, isn't he? Amen. What's God doing in your life today? I, I have a friend that I get a text. He texts me just, a, just about every day, probably four or five times a week. And, and every text I get from him is positive. Not one time has he ever sent me a text. Oh, woe is me. No. <laughs> so what should a church be? Number one, it should be different. Number two, it should be people that that are willing to be examples. And then number three, it needs to be infectious. Let's look at verse eight. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad so that we need not speak anything. The word sounded out in verse 8 is an interesting word. It means to sound like a trumpet. So what were these people doing? They were announcing they were sounding like a trumpet their faith. What an incredible concept. Do you have that picture, Chris? <clears throat> this is a picture, uh, or, or yeah, a picture <clears throat> of this would have been Macedonia, and this is a KI. 
the church right here in Thessalonica, that church influenced this entire region for Jesus Christ. One church influenced the entire region for Jesus Christ to the point that Paul says, everywhere I go, I don't have to do any preaching because you've already done it. That, I'm telling you, is infectious. In verse 5, we see that the they, that they received the word. In verse 8, we see that they spread the word. See, you can't spread it unless you receive it, for one thing. But I want to I clarify one thing, just, just so that you understand. They were not tooting their own horn, so to speak, in the sense that they were going around Macedonia and Achaia telling everybody how great their church was how big it was and how, how fast it was growing and, and all of these things, they were out broadcasting the gospel because it's the gospel that changes lives, not how big your church is. You know, one of the things, and, and you know, it, it's, it, it is what it is, okay? It's just, it is what it is. When, when pastors get together, do you know what we ask? How's your church doing? We're not asking how the church is doing spiritually. What are we asking? Yeah, numbers. How's the church doing? Oh, I'm running, running you know, 600, you know, whatever. You know, hey, well, praise the Lord, Bill. I have yet to have a pastor ask me, hey, what's the, what, what's the spiritual temperature of the church? That's, that's what we should be asking. How many, how many people do you have out soul winning? How, how many people are reading their Bible? How many people are, are spending time in prayer every day? See, what, what is the better gauge? Not the numbers. Because when we, when we get consumed with numbers, what do we do? We allow numbers to control the temperature of the church. This church didn't care about that. This church was consumed. It was, it was consumed with one thing, and that is getting the gospel out. I picked the word infectious on purpose because if you're in tune at all with the news, you know or you've heard of the coronavirus. Okay? And... <clears throat> Uh, you, you know, I, I, my wife told me this morning, how many had died in China? 300 people in China have died from it, one in the Philippines, 
and it's, it, it's literally spreading around the world. I, I, I read a, a headline recently on the internet, and, and I, I didn't read the article, I just saw the headline, and it just, it, it just, it was profound to me. Well, not profound, just, anyway, I'll read the headline. <clears throat> Person-to-person transmission of coronavirus reported in the U.S. Now, now, we as a church are getting healthier, okay? <laughs> a, a month ago, uh, you could have shot a cannon in here and hit almost nobody because everybody was homesick. If somebody in here, if we knew that somebody in here had the coronavirus, do, do you think we'd, what do you think you would do? You wouldn't have come. Uh, well, you know, you could have used the hand sanitizer. That would have done it, right? No. Why? What? My, my point is this. A virus spreads, does it not? Why are we not, as a church, spreading the gospel? But it should be. Everybody that we come in contact with should know that we're a Christian. Everybody. Do you think that the people, <clears throat> excuse me, um, that that have been diagnosed with coronavirus in the United States who are being quarantined, do you think that if they were allowed to go out in public, that they would be identified in some way? I, I would think so. I would hope so that the medical people would say, you know, danger or something, you know. Why? Because everybody who comes in contact with them is going to be affected. That's how our lives should be. Our lives should impact everybody that we come into contact with. Nobody, nobody that walks away from you as a believer should wonder if you know the Lord or not. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, it says, Go ye uh, therefore into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he saith unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach, or to proclaim the gospel to every creature. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But ye shall be, excuse me, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jer Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. We are commanded to go and to tell. And, and we read verses, we read passages like Matthew ch chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, and it says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And we say, wait a minute, we can't, I can't go into all the world. It is physically impossible. Well, I'm here to tell you a church, 
in Thessalonica influenced an entire region. They did what they could. In Acts chapter chapter 1, verse 8, the verse that I, I just read, it says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come, come upon you. And then it says, And ye shall be. You're going to be a witness. The question is, what kind of a witness are you going to be? You will be a positive witness or an infectious witness for, for the gospel, or you will be a dead witness for the gospel. But you're going to be a witness. That's a powerful thought. What kind of a witness are you going to be? It is not... Well, let me, let me put it this way. What I'm about to say may be a new concept for you. And I, I hate to bust your bubble. But it is not the responsibility of the pastor of the church to do all the witnessing and soul winning. It's not my responsibility. And I hate to say this, but that's not what you pay me for. It is my responsibility as a believer in Jesus Christ to be a witness and a soul winner. Just like it's your responsibility. I talk to people, obviously all the time, about Christ because I love him, not because I get paid for it. In fact, 70, 70 to 80% of people that come to church for the first time or, or at least the first time in a long time, 70-80% of people that represent church growth is a result of friends and family. Somebody just taking the opportunity, the time to say, hey, do you want to go to church? And it's amazing how many people will say, you know, actually, that's a, yeah, I'd like to go. The other 20 to 30% is from what we would call today evangelistic outreach, where, where we as a church <clears throat> go out and knock on doors and, and we purpose to reach out to the people around us. You say, but, well, so basically then evangelistic outreach doesn't work. No, it works. Why don't we take 30% of the people here this morning and ask you to leave? No, it doesn't work that way. I've got a commercial for you. This is, this is a free commercial, okay? Many of you are going to go home today and watch television 
and you're going to let the, let the world pump commercials into you. So here, I'm going to give you a commercial. Mark this day down, March 7th. It's a Saturday at 10 o'clock. That is the next day, because we, we, we go out knocking on doors. We call it Soul Winning Saturday, the first Saturday of every month. And next month, it is March 7th. And I want to invite every one of you to be here for that day. Because we're going to do something a little different. Instead of all of us just going out, knocking on doors, inviting the church, we're going to sit here as a group and we're going to, I'm going to teach you how to share your faith. Because I honestly get asked often, hey, would you talk to my sister, my, my brother, my cousin, my, my friend? They need to get saved, but I don't know what to say to them. It's not that hard. Honestly, it's not that hard. But I'm gonna, on March 7th, I'm going to teach you how to do that. It, it is incredibly simple. But the problem was, at least in my life, until somebody taught me how to do it, I didn't know what to say either. We need to be a people that are willing to be different. We need to be a people that are willing to be examples we need to be a people that the gospel is infectious in our lives. As I sat in my office, can you put that map back up, Chris? <clears throat> As I sat in my office and pondered this map, and I was, I was so overwhelmed by what the church at Thessalonica had done, influenced an entire region with the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the point, the Apostle Paul says, I, I, everywhere I went, I, I would start to preach the gospel and the people say, oh, we've heard that. Praise God. Well, to be perfectly honest, as I sat in my office and I looked at this map, Instead of Thessalonica, I imagined the word Fernley. And I thought, how are we doing? As a church, how are we doing? I don't know. I don't think we're doing that good. We need to do more. We, we should have so many people on Soul Winning Saturday that I, 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 I should be scrambling thinking, wow, where am I going to send you? But you know what? It's not like that. It needs to be. It should be. But it's not. What's your, what does what your Christianity look like? Is it infectious? 
I can't answer that. Only you can. Number four. What is a church supposed to look like? It's supposed to be different. It's supposed to be an example. It's supposed to be infectious. But this is one of my favorite points. Number four, it should be expecting. It should be expecting. And I'm not talking about babies. We're not, you know, that's not what I'm talking about. Let's look at verse 9. For they themselves show uh, of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. And how ye turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. They were waiting for the coming of our Lord. In these verses, Paul is talking specifically about what we call the second coming. Look at chapter 2, verse 19, quickly. It says, For what is our hope or, or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? I want, to, I want to focus in on one word there because it's an important word that we in the 21st century uh, do not quite understand, and that is the word hope. The word hope it, 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 in 21st century English means, and let me read you the definition out of the dictionary. It says, a desire with anticipation to want something to happen or to want it to be true. Here's some synonyms of 21st century word hope. To assume, to presume, or to contemplate. That's what it means to hope. That's not what the Bible word means. The Bible word for hope is something much different than 21st century English. See, when we read the word hope here, it says... Uh, for what is our hope or or what is what is our presumption that no that's not what he's saying what he's saying the word hope in uh, the biblical word hope means to have a confident expectation in other words not when or excuse me not not if but when see our hope our hope that he's coming is a sure thing it's going to happen. We just don't know when. Now, my personal desire today would be great. I would love for it to happen before the Super Bowl so all of those people are like totally disappointed. Because to me, now, do I like watching football? Yes, I love watching football. But you know what? In the scheme of 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 things it's just a stupid game it's just a game I couldn't even tell you who played last year honestly I could I, I thought about I I thought about this more I'm like man who who played? I don't even know who played last year I could tell you nothing about the last year's Super Bowl that's how important it is 
But there are, there, are, there are people who are absolutely consumed with that game. How very sad. See, my hope is not in entertainment. It's not in the things of this world. My hope is in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where my hope is. See, you've got to understand that, that, that when Paul writes this, and, and we, see it, we see it in verse 9, he says that he talks about the fact that they were saved from their idol worship. And the, the empty promises of idol worship. And he says, he says put, that, put the empty promises away and put your hope in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, we have our hope in a living God. Psalm chapter 115, verses 3 through 8, describe the life of idol worshipers. But our God is in heaven, excuse me, in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he, he hath pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the, the work of men's hands, they have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, <clears throat> but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throats. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. See, our hope is in a living God, not in an idol that is hopeless. One of the interesting things, I didn't know this until I was studying for this, but one of the reasons the Apostle Paul uh, uh, in 1 and 2 Thessalonians talks about the, the, the coming of, of the Lord is because the, the Thessalonians, some of the Thessalonians, not, not all of them, but some of them had got so consumed with the, the coming of the Lord that they sold their homes, they quit their jobs, and they pretty much sat around waiting for the coming of the Lord. Well, well guess what happened? He didn't come. And they were literally starving to death, some of them. And Paul, Paul is trying to encourage them, hey, he's coming, but you have to be careful here. Because the word, the word wait here that he uses in verse 10 uh, is, is, is an interesting word. It means to wait, but to... What, let, let me... It, it means to wait, but wait with activity, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? <clears throat> so it's, a, it's an interesting word. And so he's telling him, wait, because he's coming, but don't stop working. The Lord tells us the same thing in the parable, the 10 pounds. And in Luke chapter 19, verses 12 to 13, uh, the Lord says, 
Uh, and he said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive of himself a kingdom and to return. Okay, he's, re- he's, he's prophesying himself there. And then he tells, he says, and he calleth his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, what? Occupy till I come. In other words, don't quit working. We need to be expecting, but we, ne- we, we never need to stop working. We need to continue to work, to occupy, to do the work of the gospel. An expecting church should be a vibrant church. People should be getting saved. Lives should be, should be changed. It should be a vibrant church. An expecting believer should be a vibrant believer. Somebody willing to, to be infectious, to be an example, to, to do some of the things that we've talked about. The church of Thessalonica is a great example for Grace Baptist Church. They were different. They, they, they let their difference be known. They were willing to be different. We need to be different. We need to be willing to be an example. We need to put ourselves out there. We need to be infectious. Let us be in infectious Christians so that the, the gospel will spread and that the, the influence of this small church here in Fernley, Nevada can make an impact around the world. Because I believe with all my heart it can. Let us never forget and be expecting the coming of our Lord. But let us use that expectation as motivation to do the first three things. In closing, I want to challenge you with a thought. <clears throat> the title of my message the last two weeks is what every church should be. And I believe that to be true. I believe that what I taught you last week and the things that we've talked about this morning is is true. It It is right out of the Word of God. But I want to challenge you with this thought that I believe to be true also. What every church should be is what every believer should be. And if we will be different, if we will be willing to be examples, if we will be infectious with our faith, 
And if we will be expecting the coming of our Lord, our lives will be different. And if our lives are different, this church will be different. Let's pray.